Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Alabama podcast from Business Alabama Magazine. I'm Alec Harvey, Executive Editor of Business Alabama Magazine, and my guest today is Doug Stockham, a Birmingham native and founder and CEO of the Emergency Assistance Foundation. On this episode, Doug talks about the Emergency Assistance Foundation, how it's helping employees, and how companies can benefit from its services. Please join me as I talk to Doug Stockham on the Business Alabama podcast. So, Doug Stockham, welcome to the Business Alabama podcast. Thank you, Alex. I'm very happy to be here. Can we start with you? I know you have a very strong Alabama connection. Can you tell me about yourself, uh, where you grew up, where you went to college, kind of leading up to uh, the Emergency Assistance Foundation? Um, sure, I'd be happy to. I uh, I was born and grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, as as did my both my parents and my grandparents. So and my son. So we have a long Alabama history. And I ended up going to a college at Vanderbilt, then to graduate school at University of Pennsylvania at Wharton School, and then I returned to Birmingham and, and worked there for most of my life. But I decided to move to Florida uh, in. Uh, 2006 because it was so nice and sunny and real time. I like the beach, so I moved. I moved down here, and that's where you started the Emergency Assistance Foundation. Can you tell me about that? Uh, my partner named Brian Klontz, um, He and I got together and did several things, and one of them was to start this foundation. It was really uh, kind of interesting how I m- met him. So in 2008, we had a um, you know there's a huge uh, financial crisis. And, and I was doing a lot of commercial real estate, which I really loved doing, but it slowed down quite a bit because of the financial crisis. So I, I knew his name by reputation, and I called him up to ask him about different ideas uh, that might be worth doing, what he thought. And he said, well, let me ask you, this. if you could do anything you want to do, what would you do? I said, well, I'd set up a foundation to uh, accept donations of various assets and then sell them. And I said, but that's not really a business. He says, it actually is a business, and my partner died last month and needs some help. You want to work together? I said, well, I guess we need to meet. So uh, he came down here, and we met, and we talked about what things we could do and the various things going on. And And he brought up there's, – there's a large um, energy company that had had a problem, that they had had a situation where the, they had a big tsunami and impacted a lot of their employees, and they – wanted to help them out. So they had set up a foundation very quickly uh, and raised some money and then helped make grants. But they said, you know, we don't really know what we're doing and this is not really our business. Can you find somebody like that take us, take it off our hands? And so we thought, well, okay, we, that'd be pretty easy to do, but it, it really wasn't. And we realized that if they have the problem, so do a lot of other people, companies. So we, we really thought about it and put in a great deal of, uh, of thought because we're 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 very entrepreneurial, and how can we have a very efficient, low cost foundation? And then we've got IRS approval in 2011, and 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 just have kept growing ever since. So, can you tell me more specifically how EAF works? Can you kind of walk me through uh, an example of what would happen with you all? Sure. So, uh, so we we have uh, we have uh, about 400 funds here right now. And what happens is, is typically a company would come to us and say, either 
we have a foundation that's running this, so we'd, we'd like you to take over for us, or we'd like to have a fund like this, you know, what do we need to do? And so what they do is they, they we enter a field of interest agreement and they establish a fund at our foundation, which is now our fund, and they donate to it. And also their employees can donate to it, which is a big feature. And so anywhere uh, in the world that it's, it's legally, it's a member of the charitable class, but they'd say it's going to be all our full-time employees or all our part-time employees, or it may be geographically oriented, but typically anywhere in the world, one of the employees has some um, financial hardship and there is a category of what they are. So if you meet one of these categories and you apply for a grant and provide the documentation, we can make a, a tax-free grant to the applicant or, or pay their bills. And and where where does the business part of it come in for you all? I mean, how how are you, I guess, how are you paid? Well, uh, because the fund, when you set up a fund, it is at our foundation, it's our fund. So when they donate money, it's probably very good. All donations to, to a fund are restricted, meaning that we're not allowed to use the money except for to make grants to individuals who meet the criteria and to pay the administrative costs. So we've set up some specific costs of different activities, a donation or, or a grant application. And when those things occur, you know, that, that creates a, a fee and that generates income that we actually pay for the business and pay the individuals that work here. Doug, a relief fund like this obviously helps the people who are applying for the grants but it's also helpful to the companies who establish them, correct? It is, but you know, really, what's really interesting is a lot of people miss this part. It's it's it may be even more helpful to the people who work there who want to donate to help each other, because uh, what happens is is that a lot of people really get a lot of pleasure out of donating if the thing is going to to be used well, and um, and when they d- donate, it actually creates. Uh, a closer connection to the company and they t- a lot of times improves productivity. But so people miss out on the fact that the people who get to donate actually get so much out of it that I, I'd even argue sometimes more than the people who have the need, but, but there are two sides to that. And so obviously people who are in, in a bad place, you know, it could be, it could be a, a natural disaster and they need help um, repairs or, or finding some place to go, or it could be, Someone died in the family and their funeral costs are very expensive and they don't have enough money to cover a lot of that or some medical expenses that aren't covered by insurance or a whole, whole host of things that might impact somebody. And so it's, it's, we find it's been very, very uh, helpful and very, very well received. And from companies' ends, they're fulfilling ESG requirements. Can you talk about those, what they are and how this helps them? Yeah, a number of them view it that way. Of the ESG, it's the S, the social part. And that typically, different people have different definitions of what they say comes out of that. But the social is human capital. Uh, it's, you know, it's also access to medicine, finance, health and safety, all kinds of things like that. So those broad categories, it's the S in the ESG that these funds have a lot of uh, have an impact under that category. So quite often the people we interact with are going to be the, it could be the HR department. It could be the folks involved, what they call it CSR, but involved with the ESG, or, or it could be the foundation themselves. But that is a, that's a growing I know, area of, of focus for a lot of companies, the ESG part. Yeah. Yeah. 
You you said that this started with a company saying they just didn't really know how to administer a fund like this. Um, so it's it's really not just a matter of giving money to those who are in need. What kind of, I mean, I guess you we could do a whole podcast on what kind of services you offer, but but what are you helping them through, the the companies? Well, it's interesting. Um, so part of, part of the reason we do so well at this more than an individual company is 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 we have. I guess if you look at the remember the charitable class of all the companies we work with, it's about 12 million people worldwide. And so we're, we're on average doing eight to 10,000 applications a month. And so we're very, very efficient at what we do. We've automated a huge amount of it, except for with interaction with the people part. We have, a, we have a, a lot of people here that interact with applicants. We speak 26 languages and uh, we make grants to every country that's not, it, that's not sanctioned. And of course, they, they they work for these companies, right? The people that work for the companies, so if they're impacted. So let's take like Ukraine, they get attacked. A lot of the employees are displaced, um, and then we we made about eight thousand grants to individuals in Ukraine uh, during the first few months of the war. And it, it, it's very interesting. I'm very proud of which I think is, is the re- reason we we actually have very very low cost because we're very very efficient. We use a lot of automation. And we've actually not raised our fees since we started. So last 12 years, we've we've not increased our fees. We've actually reduced them, which is the same as like reducing 30% because it's been inflation all along. While. But the way we've done it is we, we use um, a lot of efficiencies. So we're very, very efficient. We're very, very automated where we can be. So the people aren't doing busy work. They're, they're doing the actual interactions with an applicant or with a grantee. And that type of thing. So it's been very, very helpful. So when we deal with other companies who already have a fund, we typically about one tenth of the cost that 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 they spend. At the same time, we have much broader because this is all we do. A, a very robust uh, tools. Like one of the things we do, which is kind of unique, but I like it, is every time somebody has uh, applies for a grant, we give them a free uh, identity theft protection for a year or two, because first of all, you're in a bad way, right? And on top of that, people are always trying to scam you. When you're in a bad way, people are trying to scam you, you might be subject to a scam. So we give everybody free identity theft protection. And we think things like that, which are kind of unique, are helpful. Because about 10% of people take advantage of it, the rest don't, that's fine. We also are very, very quick to pay in the United States. As soon as people submit and we are awarded it, they receive an email to their phone which has a hyperlink, they can either download the money in, as ACH into their bank account, or they could print it out as a, as a PDF and it's a check. And internationally, we send them a link and they get to choose based on their country how they receive the money. And so, you know, we, we call it the Express Grants Department. The idea is as soon as we've awarded it, you need to get, get the money. You can imagine like if you're in a hurricane somewhere and you got to go somewhere, I, I need some money, I got I to leave town. You can't sit around and wait for a check to be mailed to you. Where are you going to mail it? So that's why it works so well to do you know payments to your phone. Most people have a phone. And and then you can do what you need to do, go where you gotta go, and and um, you know, and we can be very supportive of people very, very quickly. So we also another thing unique we have, which uh, we love it, we're a virtual organization. We always have been. So when a hurricane hits South Florida, I'm leaving. But everybody else is working, and 
And when I get somewhere, I can go back to work because it's all cloud-based and it's not based on being in a location. Because if you're in a, in a location, think about this. If we were all based here in my office in South Florida and Hurricane hit here, we'd all be scrambling to take care of ourselves. We would not be helping anybody else out. But we can do that because we built some, you know, um, a, a great system and we're not all in one place. I'm in an office by myself. <laughs> so is everybody else um, uh, in various areas around the world. And and are you all raising money for these funds or are you recruiting companies that already have raised the money for these funds? Well, we encourage the companies to to uh, to help uh, raise the money. What they typically donate quite a bit, but it's also in employee engagement. Because if you go out there and you talk to people about, hey, not we have this fund, you need some help. But if, if you talk to them about a way to donate to help each other, then you're going to talk about it differently. And they're going to hear you and, and they'll connect better, too, when there's needs. But, you know, people are given so much information so much all the time that usually it, it connects better when there's a big event. You know, when there's a big event in Tampa, that hurricane that hit, uh, people were all aware of it or the fires in California, everybody's aware of it. So that's when people are really more inclined to give is when they are paying attention and they have somebody else in their company. They go, Cause you think about this, I, if I give money, not just to some charity, hoping somebody maybe it will be helped, but I'm actually giving money to a charity, but I might actually know the people being helped. Because they were actually working. And so we find that is very appealing to the, a lot of people who donate. I'm quite amazed how many people that even receive a, a grant come back later and want to donate because they feel they're really happy about being able to get some money when they needed it. I guess I was particularly, you mentioned the grants in the Ukraine. Were, were these companies, did they already have funds set up? Yeah. And these yes. are employees of those companies that have gotten the grants? Yes. Yes. But so we, we get a, we get probably about four new companies a month that set up funds. But, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, like back in 2020, uh, especially in February particularly of 2020, we started getting all kinds of grant submissions in Wuhan, China. We're thinking, man, there's something going on in Wuhan, China. I'm not sure what it is, but they sure are getting sick over there. Oh, gosh. And, they, and that went from five or 600 applications a month in February to 60,000 in March. So then it goes down to a more normal level, but you know, we, we have these tools we've created to be able to scale when big things happen. So a company has a relief fund. I, I would assume that, that one of the, the things they're concerned about or, or need to know more about are particularly in the United States, the tax situation. So you, you, you walk them through IRS requirements and that sort of thing. Well, actually, we've we solved the problem. So we have IRS authority to make grants to individuals, which is not common. Normally, you have to give money to a service who provides services to them. But we actually have IRS authority to give grants to individuals, both domestically and internationally. And every grant we make is tax-free in the United States. And and they sometimes are tax-free outside the U.S. We don't – tax laws change so much. We just recommend everybody contact – you know, their own, I guess, uh, local tax authority to find out. We've never heard of anyone who's ever had a problem uh, with that. But but in the United States, it's 100% tax-free. And how many companies are you all working with? Can Do you have a number? Yeah, it's about it's about 400 right now. Around the world, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, 
Yes, yes. So the majority of, uh, of companies are based in the United States, but not all of them. Some companies have no presence at all in the United States because the, the process works really, really well um, wherever you are. And of course, everything is in, you know, is in the cloud based and we have different languages. And I mentioned earlier, we have, we speak 26 languages here amongst people who work here, but we also, um, quite often depends on, on where the employee bases are. We, we put it in different languages on the applications themselves so they can, they can read it in a language they're more familiar with. And I assume you're working with some companies in Alabama and, and have dealt with tornadoes and hurricanes and, and that sort of thing here. Yeah, but yes, but there are a lot of uh, companies because a lot of them are, are, you know, large public companies that have like retailers that have stores everywhere or, or other manufacturing plants that have a lot of different facilities. So it's very common for these companies to have the, the employees we work with typically have they range between a thousand to a million employees. And the most common size is going to be, you know, 5,000 to 30,000 employees. But we have several in the millions. And it's always remarkable to me. We have some that are very small, though, that still want to do it, 80, some of 100. That's not as common. Um, but, uh, but the needs are always still there. The, the, the key hurdle in all this is, it, even when a company wants to do it on its own, with its own foundation, is you have to, what's called, break the nexus. And, which means, uh, why, why do they get a tax-free grant? And the reason is, is they're not coming as an employee. They're coming as an individual who's applying for a grant who meets the criteria. So you have to be careful to make sure that is done properly. And it's the same kind of thing. Let's say you work for a company and they give you health insurance and you go to your doctor. Your doctor does not ask you who you work for. And the company does not ask you, well, did you see a doctor? What did he say? It's, it's none of their business. So in this case, the, the people are coming to us as individuals. And other than the initial criteria, which is, yes, oh, you do. You are a member of the charitable class because you work for this company and you're a full-time employee. Other than that, you're, you're as your individual, and it, your, da- your data is personal, it's private, it's not the company's information. So they, they don't get to have the information about who gets a grant, who doesn't get a grant, unless the person wants to tell them. Now, what we encourage people to do is to share your story. In other words, if you get a grant, would you want to share your story to encourage others to donate or apply? And, and probably about 10% of people do that, and we have a little tool that helps them write their story. It's like a little uh, survey, ask a few questions. They give us pictures or other things. And then we share that story with the, the companies who then can use that to help you know, promote the program. And of course, the people always, they're grateful. They always want to be as helpful as they can. So it's very common to get, we get a lot of stories shared every, every week. I bet you do. Uh, and I assume that whether it's a company or an individual who, who's interested in working with you all or applying for a grant. You're a virtual company. There's a website where they can go. Can you tell me how, how they can find you? Yeah. Well, our, our corporate website is emergency assistance, FDN.org. Each fund has its own unique website. And, and on that web, each unique website will have their FAQs, application button, a donation button, and some other information that's helpful uh, to them. Particularly in the United States, we try to say, well, if you if you have this problem, maybe you have other problems, and here's a, here's a some links to some other charities in your area that may be able to help you. And the whole idea is to you know, when people have some some needs. They typically have a lot more needs, and so you want to be as helpful as you can. And we as long as we we have to stay within certain boundaries of 
of what the um, of the IRS you know requires, and, and which is to be objective criteria and and have certain uh, li limits to how much you can get. But um, and you have to have something called the needs test, which means you have to be in need of the money. We all want the money, right? But you, but you ha already have money. You don't need another two thousand dollars. So it is going to be people who who don't have a lot of resources. If you have a lot of resources, you won't qualify. Doug, I like to end these podcasts with a section of questions that we call business casual, which your answers can be business oriented or just how you relax, what you watch, what you listen to. Do you listen to podcasts? Or are you listening to anything these days? Well, I do listen to ones. This fellow I actually knows, named Peter Zihan, and he, he, he talks about um, what's going on in the world, uh, mostly from a, um, I forgot what he calls it, but it's just a, uh, um, it's just for not just the social things, just the economic type activities, demographics, that type of thing. So it's very interesting to me. The world's very, always has been interesting, but this days it's getting more and more complicated, it seems like. So stay up on that. Uh, are you a reader? Do you read the same sort of things or uh, what's on your nightstand? I do read a lot. I just got a book the other day that someone's recommended to me. It's called Freedom at Midnight. And it was it's about when uh, India but came independent from the from the British and how the decisions were made and then all the ramifications. There were some it's still controversial because there's you know, some people feel like they got mistreated, but because they had divided the country up between, you know, East Pakistan, West Pakistan and and India. But it's very interesting to me. And and I went there to India a few years ago and I was just amazed by what I saw. And so it's it's it, it's really helpful for me to read books about things before you see them too, but afterward, and you can get so much more understanding about just the world itself. So I'm looking forward to getting further into this book. I like to ask people what the best advice they've ever been given is. And sometimes it's business oriented. Sometimes it's life oriented. Have you been given some good advice along the way that you can share? Yeah. The, the thing that usually when people ask that question from time to time, the thing that comes to mind is this, it was given to me actually as a, a coach running cross country in high school, we were, we were a team, we were number one in new England and I was far from the top. I was near the bottom, but, but we all ran together practiced. And what we practiced the most was running uphill because he said, that's where everybody, you know, you slow down, you go uphill, you get to the top and you go, Oh, thank goodness. That's over with. He said, so what you learn is you just, you get the hill and you just run it and you get to the top. You do not take that breath. You just kick in. So, so why everybody else is doing that it kind of demoralizes them because you're past them running uphill or you get to the top and they take a couple seconds off their time and you keep going. And so we used to just do that all the time. And I've learned to, you know, when you get a big win, you don't sit there and congratulate yourself. You just keep going. And that worked well in business for me. Uh, and lastly, what's the best part of your job? I would assume it's the people you're helping, but I'll leave that up to you to answer. Well, it, I, I would say that, but actually this morning we had something called a town hall. We do it every about once a quarter and we get everybody all around the world on one big Zoom call. And and I really enjoy that. But the part of it I really enjoy the most is because I'm getting older. I'm 60, almost 67. But I like to uh, I like to, to teach and to train the people as much as I can so they can be successful. I get a lot of pleasure out of that. And we have so, so many phenomenal people here. It's just amazing to me. By some miracle, they all showed up and worked really hard and they're really good people. So it's a pleasure to work with them. That's really what I enjoy the most. 
Well, Doug, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast today. This has been great. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. My thanks to Doug Stockham, founder and CEO of the Employee Assistance Foundation, and to you, the listener, for joining me today on the Business Alabama podcast. Until next time, this is Alec Harvey. Find more from Business Alabama in our monthly magazine and online at businessalabama.com.